0: Exodus 15, verses 22 to 17, verse 7. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place was called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instructions for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where, they, where there were twelve springs. And 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out for Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from you for, from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against, uh, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against God. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. (laughs) Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said. Because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan, and Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink so they quarrelled with Moses and said give us water to drink Moses replied why do you quarrel with me why do you put the lord to the test but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses they said why did you bring us up out of egypt to make us and our children us and our children and livestock die of thirst then Moses cried out to the lord what am i to do with these people they are almost ready to stone me the lord answered Moses Get out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and, the, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do you ever feel like Christians miss out
1: somehow? Uh, maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, but that's something that kind of stands in your way. You think, oh, if I jump in there, there's a whole lot of things that are off limits all of a sudden. Uh, if you are a Christian, I wonder if you've ever had that feeling that that somehow you're missing out. Uh, maybe friends at uni are raving about a party that you decided not to go to because is going to clash with church or hub or something. Uh, maybe a friend starts to pull ahead of you uh, because uni is all they think about. That is number one for them. And that's kind of not the case for you uh, because you're a Christian. Maybe it feels like following Jesus uh, somehow holds you back. Uh, God's up there, uh, in some sense, being the cosmic fun police. Uh, do you ever get that feeling? Uh, I think when we get that, it's tempting to, to kind of push God to one side and, and to pursue the things that we want through worldly means. Well, if you have ever felt that way, you're not alone. That is a feeling that's a, roughly 3,500 years old uh, because that's exactly what uh, God's people, Israel, are going through. They're struggling here in the wilderness in Exodus. Exodus. And what we're going to do tonight is see uh, the difficulty that they're experiencing in following the Lord, especially when it feels like things are tough, like they're missing out on things as God's people. I think it'll be really helpful for us, and it's not just me who thinks it'll be helpful. Uh, It's worth, as we start, thinking about uh, what the New Testament thinks about this passage, this section of Exodus. Uh, If you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So flicking to the New Testament right at the start, here's the pertinent passage if you don't have a Bible right in front of you. I want you to see it. Uh, let's read it from verse one. One Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. It says this for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And drop down, verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That passage is telling us that... uh, the rock that Moses hit was Christ, we'll get to that later, uh, but right now I want you to see that there's a warning there for us, a warning. Uh, if you read that passage and think that Israel looked ridiculous, the way they just never seem to get it and they never listen to God, look out, there's a warning for us, they are there as an example. So there's two sides uh, to this passage, on the one and we have Israel and their struggle to depend on God. And on the other hand, we have God's gracious provision. So we're going to work our way through that. And we're going to see that that is an example for us, to help us to set our hearts on obedience. Okay. Firstly, let's get into the scene. Now, chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. This is a real transition point uh, in Exodus. They've finally left Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea, this great, magnificent rescue by God, set free from the Egyptians, and it's the very beginning of a new life with God as his people. And they kick it off with three days and no water. That's it. It's not a fresh start, it's a bitter start. They call the place Mara, which means bitter. And verse 24 the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? They hate this new life. Uh, but we're actually told what's going on here, why this is happening. It's a test. Have a look there in verse 25. There, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. So he's taking them into the desert, uh, into this situation with no water as a test. and Not like a uni kind of pass-fail uh, graded thing, but a test that's designed to help them learn. He wants them to learn what it means to obey him. So he starts with a test to answer the question, will you obey me? And that'll show whether they trust him or not. If they obey, will you depend on me by doing what I say? Uh, that's what happens every time you go to the doctor, right? Uh, you go to the doctor, you're sick. They they check you out, they prescribe something, uh, and then you know you have to go to the chemist get those pills. Uh, the question is, will you trust them? Do you trust your doctor? Uh, do you trust that they know what they're doing? They, you know, they've got all the diplomas on the wall, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but do you trust them? Do you trust that they have your best interests at heart? So the test for whether you trust your uh, doctor is whether you follow their instructions. If you go to the chemist, buy those pills, if you take them three, days of what, three times a day, just like your doctor says, then that's the evidence that you trust them. If you don't take the pills, you don't trust them. But maybe you could, maybe you could learn to trust your doctor. If you saw enough of them in action, uh, if you saw them treat other patients and you in small ways, uh, maybe you could learn to trust them. And that's the journey that Israel are on. Can they trust God and follow His instructions? Can they learn to trust Him as they experience His grace? His provision here in the desert. And so that's the first side of this section Israel's struggle to obey. And I'm sure you saw that as we worked our way through. Uh, They're so quick to grumble, quick to complain against God. God's rescued them literally three days earlier uh, with this epic miracle. And yet somehow they, they turn on Him so quickly. How did they turn so quickly? Well, it's because they're thirsty. God rescued them, Uh, but that was Thursday and this is today, this is Sunday and we haven't had any water. Where is God now? I'm about to die. Now is what matters. And so their immediate need trumps what they know about God and so they look to worldly means to get what they need. Uh, First, they look to the worldly means of just going back, going back to Egypt. At least we had pots of meat back there, right? And then, uh, over and over, they take matters into their own hands. Did you notice that? When God sends uh, this bread from heaven, this manna, uh, they try and keep some uh, for extra days to store it up, uh, even though God says not to. Israel are in this struggle to depend on God because they're in a very uncertain situation, right? They're in the desert. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. But it seems like that's on purpose, right? That This is part of how God is teaching them. Have a look at chapter 16, verse 4. Here's what happens with uh, the bread from heaven. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. See, they need to learn to depend on God every day for that day. Their future is uncertain, and so they have to depend on God. See, they are secure with God's provision, uh, but they can't see it, right? It's, it's not there in front of them. They can't hold it in their hands, because that's what it means to, to trust God. But because they can't hold it, they, they look for some other way uh, to feel like they have enough. But that leads to them disobeying God. Uh, you see it especially on the Sabbath. God gives them extra on the sixth day so that they can rest on the seventh day. Now uh, have a look at chapter 16, verse 26. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Can you see what, that's, what it's about? It's about them depending on God and keeping his commands. But it's so hard for them, so hard for them not to go their own way, to satisfy their own needs through disobedience. Now, before you think, silly Israelites, remember, they're an example to us. They are a warning to you and me uh, about where we set our hearts. Because that can be the case for us as well. We find it very difficult. uh, Very difficult to rest, to depend on God in all our various circumstances. God has provided enough for me to rest Uh, to have time set aside for devotion for Him, uh, for all of uh, the ways in which I might uh, be called to obey Him. But somehow we don't feel it. I feel like I I have to keep studying. I can never stop because I, I feel like somehow I'll fall behind or I fill up my time with constant entertainment because I feel like I'll miss out. But if we never rest... Uh, doesn't that reveal something about our trust in the Lord depending on Him? And if that leads to disobedience, uh, doesn't that reveal that we don't trust Him? Uh, that's why Israel need to keep a bit of manna there in chapter 16, verse 33. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come it's like one of those time capsule things that you know communities bury in the ground and then 50 years later they dig it up so everyone remembers that we liked taylor swift this time in history Uh, it's like that Uh, this this time capsule uh, for them to look back and see that god has provided in the past that he is trustworthy so they've got reason to trust him and to keep obeying. But this section actually spirals downwards for the Israelites. Uh, chapter 17, uh, we get to the same situation again. They run out of water again. And even though it's exactly the same, they, they forget that God can provide in this situation. Uh, chapter 17, verse 7, they called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarrelled and because they tested the Lord, saying is the Lord among us or not? So here we are, now we're a few months into the journey and God has been providing food and water every day and yet they can still ask, is the Lord among us or not? See, they forget the Lord at every turn and in fact, they turn on God. God is testing them to teach them obedience and instead of humbly learning that God is enough, they turn on God and they test Him. Did you see that? They test Him. Prove you're here, God. If God were really with us, then this wouldn't be happening. Now, remember, they're examples to us. The Israelites here are a warning for us about our hearts. Because that can be the case for us as well. Especially when things are tough. You know, I might know that God is enough, that uh, my relationship with Him is enough to satisfy me, but I don't have friends now. That's right in front of me. And I, I need this God. And so we disobey to get what we need. Or especially in In tough times. This is is really difficult. In sickness uh, we're prone to the same thing that the Israelites are prone to. Instead of humbly learning what it means to trust God when things are dark and hard, we rage against God. We rage against Him. If God were here, this wouldn't be happening. And so we need to learn that lesson. Now, uh, before hard times strike to take that warning about where we set our hearts uh, so that we don't grumble or abandon God and instead we look to his gracious provision. And that's the other side of this passage, God's gracious provision. Even uh, with all of Israel's grumbling, uh, time after time, God still answers their need. He brings water from the rock, he brings bread from heaven and he keeps on providing for this grumbly ungrateful bunch of so-and-sos time after time and as they go along they see uh, examples of God's kindness Uh, have a look uh, back at the start chapter 15 verse 27 then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water See, he takes them to this place, Elam, this oasis, and it's a taste of where they're headed. It's, it's a foretaste of the, this good land that God is taking them to, 12 springs, enough for the 12 tribes of Israel, 70 palms, a picture of abundance. God shows them this glorious future that he has in store for them, and it's an act of his grace to show them what it will be like. I feel like that's why holidays are so dangerous that you get this taste of like a much nicer life than the one that you normally live you you know go to the beach every day hang by the pool just laze around sleep in read books eat out all those kind of things but there's something lovely about that to get a taste of it Um, imagine if you are uh, our new rector so Sir so Matthews has a new rector coming across from, from Sydney. Uh, it'd be even better for him if he came across to, to WA just to have a holiday because he'll come across, go to Cottesloe Beach, get an ice cream, head down to Murray River, see, see the beaches and it would be a taste of what he has in store because he's moving across in July and he'll think, this is it. Paradise. I'm moving here very soon. This little taste... ...of what will soon come. And God gives his people a taste of their future. God graciously answers their need. And notice that it's exactly what they need. When they're collecting the manna in verse 17... uh, ...we're told that the Israelites did as they were told. They, 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 They do learn. They get it right sometimes... The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had just as much as they needed. It's amazing. The Israelites don't even know what this stuff is. They call it manna, which means what is it? Literally, they call it what is it? Uh, They have no idea. And yet God knows exactly what they need. He gives it to them, enough for each person. He is trustworthy. He's dependable. And on the sixth day he provides double so they can rest on the Sabbath. They can trust him. And the question is, will they? Will they learn to trust God and will they show that by obeying him? This passage shows us this picture of God's gracious provision and Israel's struggle to obey and really that that's the problem that Israel just go on struggling to obey they, they never really quite learn to depend on God uh, the thing that they're missing isn't food actually their problem is that they have sinful hearts that don't depend on God and that won't obey and so you fast forward hundreds upon hundreds of years and they're still in the same situation stuck in sin crying out to God they don't need a physical provision they need a spiritual provision and when you go to the uh, the new testament to the gospels of jesus you find that that is jesus jesus is the answer to that spiritual need a crowd come and they follow jesus up a mountainside out in the desert Uh, 5,000 men and women and he has compassion on them and he feeds them bread and fish and it's Exodus all over again. It's a sign, it's a sign that something uh, even greater is happening here. Uh, Flick forward again, we're going to go to John chapter 6 and this is what Jesus says about that incident when he feeds the crowds uh, out in the wilderness. John chapter 6, verse 32. Again, I've got it on the overhead if you don't have a Bible. John 6, verse 32. This is Jesus talking to the crowds after he's fed them. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, uh, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, God provides for their deepest need, not just food, but eternal life. Eternal life. Now how does that work? Jesus comes and he says, I'm, I'm food, I'm, I'm water, how does that work? Well it's a picture, it's a picture of Jesus' invitation to come and trust him, whoever believes in me. Uh, that's what happens uh, here at church when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you get uh, a bit of bread and it's a picture, it's a picture of Jesus' body And we're told to feed on him in our hearts by faith. That is, to to take that bread is is to trust God, to trust that Jesus is the one who makes us right with God and gives us eternal life. And so we feed on him by faith. The bread and the water uh, in Exodus is a picture of God's gracious provision, the provision of salvation in Jesus. Uh, That's why uh, 1 Corinthians can say that Christ is the rock. They drank from the spiritual rock of Jesus as they drank that water, trusted in God. But what we've seen uh, right from the start is that this passage isn't just about Jesus. It is, it points forward to God's gracious provision in Jesus, but it's also about us. A warning not to be like, the Israelites. And especially so, if you think about it, we have received the perfect provision of Jesus, God's ultimate grace, eternal life. And so the question is, will we trust Him? And will we show that by obeying Him? Even when it's not clear that how it's going to work out uh, for us in the here and now. And I think we really need to hear that warning because it's not beyond us to grumble, is it? Uh, instead of depending on Christ and feeding on Him by faith, uh, we're very quick to turn to disobedience to get the things that we want if we don't trust that He's enough. So I want to ask you tonight, where are you most likely to grumble? Where are you most likely to grumble uh, in the Christian life? I'll, I'll try some examples. Uh, they may or may not uh, fit with you. You might think, things were so much easier before I was a Christian. Things were so much easier with my family. Maybe I should, that would just be simpler. Uh, you might think, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but my my boss wants me to do it and I feel like I have to go with that if I want to get ahead. Or you might think, if I keep following Jesus, if I keep doing things, you know, the way you're meant to as a Christian, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to find a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Now, Jesus doesn't promise all those things, a perfect family and relationships and all that kind of stuff. What he promises is much more, eternal life. And he invites us to trust him, to trust him that on the way there, he is enough. He makes that promise and the test is uh, whether we will obey him as we uh, depend on him will we obey to show that our trust our belief is in him that's the question will we do that or will we grumble will we grumble our way along uh, because going with jesus has cost us in some way or will we look to him for God's gracious provision, uh, the wonderful gift of eternal life in Christ.